Praise the Lord. Let us continue worshiping the Word of God. Uh, we are continuing with the series on the character of God. Uh, we are living in an age when people are, including Christians, are worshiping the God of their own creation and imagination according to their own appetites. That's why you will hear some people call themselves Christians and say, oh, I will worship in a way that I want to worship. I don't care about the way, what the Bible says, but I'll just do whatever I want to do, even in terms of how I worship God. Well, that's the age that we are, we are living in today. And as God's people, I think it is very pivotal for us to study the God of the Bible in order for us to engage in the proper worship in spirit and truth. And so far, we have learned that the eternal God, the creator of this, this universe, is holy in nature and indignant to our sins. Therefore, he will judge the world. Yet, he is rich in mercy, kindness, and love, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to save us from the judgment. For those who believe in the name of Jesus, those who repent to the Father, those who receive the Holy Spirit shall be saved. He is also God of peace, meaning he is the God of perfect harmony in what he says, what he does, and who he is. And that is our God. He is perfect. He is our Lord. He is our God. Amen. Now, today we come to another character of God, his reign and sovereignty. And turn with me to Psalm 103 and verse 19. And we're going to be looking at another verse, Revelation 19, 6 through 7. It says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. And Revelation says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of the rushing waters, like loud the the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him the glory. Well, these texts and saying the same thing the Psalm, the Old Testament, Revelation, the New Testament that God is King. He's described as the only, pot, uh, only king of kings and lord of lords. And Bible begins in the throne room of God, and it ends in the throne room of God. And in between, human thrones and human empires come and go. But throughout, throughout it all, um, the throne of God is established in heavens, the Bible says. And this is very hard for us to understand. I understand. Because I, I don't know. Therefore, I don't know how to really communicate with you. But let me just borrow the words of the psalm. Verse 39. It says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Magnify the Lord with me. He is worthy to be praised. I think that should be the only response to our God who is beyond our comprehension and apprehension. And especially when we're talking about the sovereignty of God, I don't think we, all of us will not be able to get it 
100%. But one thing for sure, there's nothing in the universe can compare to God's majesty. He is God. However, I understand, as I said, it is very difficult in these modern days to get across the meaning of the word king. What does he mean by being a king? For one thing, many royal families have come to an end in modern days. Even in the countries that still have the royal families, the royalty no longer rules. They are, in a way, kind of entertainment, a symbol. However, in the olden days, and still in certain parts of the world, a kingdom isn't defined in terms of territory, but of dominion. Meaning you step over dominion and authority, and to call someone king of kings was to say something very big indeed. So we must exercise our imagination today, trying to understand this character of God, the sovereignty of God, and get back into the days when the kingdom and kings meant something great, a powerful dominion, and refer to a person who had absolute control of all that happened within his dominions. And that is the reign or the sovereignty of God that we're going to be talking about today. Now, the word kingdom nowadays simply means geographical territory. That's how we understand. But when Christ came preaching the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, he was preaching the reign of God. Rule of God, the sovereignty of God, the absolute dominion of Almighty God over all that he has made. In other words, if you want to sum up this in one sentence, God is on the throne. God is still on the throne. However, the human reason will never tell you that God is on the throne. Mankind would never have discovered this if God had not told us in his word through the scripture. I mean, think of the world of nature. You watch the weather forecast for tomorrow, and you might think, is God on the throne? Does he really control the weather? Can people figure that out just by looking at the weather? Of course not. It may seem as if the nature is bound with some kind of iron laws, and somehow, even if God created the world, he must have left it running on its own for many centuries. Something like machine. You would not come to the conclusion that God was on the throne by looking at the nature in itself. You would, the Bible says we will recognize there's a creator behind when you look at the creation, but God is still in control of all the nature, all the world. Just by looking at it, sometimes it's very hard. The nature does things that would suggest that God is not in control of it a lot of times, right? Typhoon, hurricane, earthquake occurs, and you see the pictures of the media and say, God on the throne? Is, it God, in, is God in control? And you tell me God is in control and that happened that? Human reason would not find this truth in nature. Now, would the human reason alone be likely to be fined this in history? You see, the horror of war, so many people said to me, God is in control, letting these things happen. Are you serious? What about right now? What's happening in Ukraine? And if you are you, the people living in the Ukraine, they will probably feel, is God in control? 
It's very hard to find the evidence in nature, even in history. Nor does human reason find the throne of God in human experiences. You're going to tell me that God is on the throne and in control when that happened to my child? When that happened to me? I can't believe it. I don't believe it. Perhaps God exists. Fine. But God is not in control. He's not omnipotent, as you say. See, of course, people cannot understand the sovereignty of God. Even Christians, it's very difficult for us to understand the sovereignty of God. I don't think we, do, we can't never understand. We have to kind of, by faith, accept it as the Bible clearly teaches us. And this is, this is not a truth that human reason can see. And you will never know that the God is on the throne if you are left to your own reason. And I found this truth, however, in the Bible, the book of divine revelation. That's why the Bible is very pivotal for all of us. Through our human reason, we never find that God is in the throne. But through the divine revelation, we clearly see that God is in the throne. And through that lens, we can start to understand what's happening in this world. Thus, every one of us must decide whether we are going to accept human reason or divine revelation as authorities in your life. Whether you think you are, we are subject to chaos, chance, or blind law of some kind of mechanical universe, or whether you will believe that God has everything in his control, which are you going to accept? That is the question today. Let us look at what the Bible says about the God's sovereignty, his reign, his omnipotence. Then ask whether it could be true or not. See, the Bible is about God's will being done and the fact that nothing can mess up his will. That he's being on the throne of the universe. Everything he says happens and the Bible begins and ends with his decrees. That's what the Bible teaches us. Look at the Old Testament. We begin with the, nat the nature, which I already mentioned. We begin in the throne room of God in Genesis chapter 1. There was nothing in this world except God's throne, and God makes a decree, let there be light. And there was light. Notice that in Revelation chapter 4, it says, God created all things, and by God's will, they exist and were created. God was sovereign in creation, and what he decreed happened. He spoke, and it was done. And that is the sovereignty of God. So having created the, word of the world of nature, did God continue to control it? That's the question. Is it really in his hand? The Bible says it is. Let's take a weather for example. You know, people say, what is the point of praying about the weather? The weather is a subject to the meteorological laws, and what it seems is a chance. What's going to happen in this nature? Well, Bible says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He sends the clouds and lightning and rain and the wind, and you will find that the God again and again used weather for his purposes. Remember Noah? Right? God caused it to rain. This, that was an order from the throne of God, and the rain washed away the evil society of that time. 
God sent a great east wind and split the Red Sea in two, and, 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 and the nation was saved from destruction. If you look at the book of Exodus, he calmed the storm with his word. That was the sovereignty of God. Look at Jesus. He calmed the storm with his word. That was the sovereignty of God over the weather. Now, we can clearly see God is in control, even in our, in our weather. Does God control animals? Well, every, every beast of the field, of the forest is mine, God says. The cattle on the thousand hills and all the birds of the air and the, everything that moves in the field is mine, God says. Literally, he, call, he can tell the flies what to do. If you remember the ten, one of the ten plagues in Egypt, look at Jonah. What about big fish and worms, whale and worms? Jesus got on the colt, the donkey that never was that was never ridden. By the way, you think it's easy to ride an untrained donkey? For the first time, somebody was on top of him. Jesus tamed the animal by his power. So both nature and animals are perfectly under the sovereignty of God. We have to understand that. Let's turn to history. Back to the Jews. You cannot explain Jewish history except in terms of God's sovereign control. By every human factor, the Jews ought to have gone out of the existence 3,000 years ago. Yet, they are still here in our neighborhood even in America. But by every human explanation, they should never even have got through the Old Testament period. Yet they did. Why? Because God's hand is upon them. Whatever happened to them was simply the hand of the potter shaping their destiny. He could break them and make them and mold them, and, but he was God, and they were the clay in the potter's hand. That's how the Isaiah and Jeremiah explained. Now, if you, think of, if you think it was limited to the Jew, think again. Read the Old Testament carefully. You'll find that God has nations in his hand, not just the Jews. Even America is in God's hands. Ukraine, Russia, China, they're in God's hands. And that he moves them and e as, as easily as he moves a piece on the chessboard. God is in control. That's why, you know, the Bible says, I brought the Philistines from Kephter. I brought Syrians from Kir. I brought Babylonians and Persians and Greeks and Romans. They're all in the hand of God. One of the greatest demonstra demonstrations of this is would be the Jews were in captivity, away in the land of Babylon. How were they are ever going to be set free? Isaiah said, hundreds of years before this thing happened, he said, Cyrus, my anointed, is coming to take over the kingdom, and he will set you free and let you go back. And that's exactly what happened. God moved the whole empire up against the, the captors of the Israel and set them free from the nations. So get this big view of God, my brothers and sisters, a God who can control all nature, all history, all animals, then you can consider daily news. 
you can see that the nations are in his hands. A lot of Christians today, we have questions after questions. As we look into our own society, as we look into the, what's happening in the world today, we feel like everything is going out of control. Well, it is not. It is going out of our control, but it's never going out of God's control. Amen. Let us go down, come down to the personal level of human experiences as well. In the Bible, you can find God's sovereignty there. The book of Proverbs says this, a man's mind, man's plan, man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You are going to make your plans, but don't you think that you can thwart God's plan? See, someone's mind may take decisions, but his steps are determined by God, and he may never know it, or he may know it like Joseph, but God is in control, even in our steps. He said after all, the Joseph, for instance, he knew that the God was in control. This is what he said. After all those experiences, we know how, what happened to Joseph. Joseph was sold by his own brothers to the slavery to the Egypt in the ancient time. But after all that, we know the story of Joseph. You know what he said? The Lord planned this. He knew. He realized all the things that happened to me, good and bad and ugly, they're all part of God's plan. What about Job? He did not know what was going on. God was dealing with Satan. And Satan took away his children, his possessions, his wealth, right? And even he got stricken by the disease. And he didn't know why. What did I do wrong? He never knew why. But at the end of all his experiences, you know what he said? The Lord gives and takes away. In the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Meaning at the end, he said, I'm not God. I do not understand. But I trust that God is God. And he is a control over this world. He's in control over, over this world. Now, consider now the example of man who was used not for good but for evil. A lot of people, they talk about, when we talk about sovereignty of God, they question, what about Pharaoh? Pharaoh is outstanding example of man whom God in his sovereign power used as a demonstration of his judgment. He said, the Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God. Paul said in Romans 9, the Lord will have mercy on whom he will have mercy and will harden whoever he will harden. Who are you to say that the potter, I don't like the way that you are making the clay? That's the New Testament. No wonder in our cultural context, people don't like that. God can do whatever he wants. He does not respect anybody. He does not respect women, men. He doesn't respect all that. As a matter of fact, he does. But ultimately speaking, he's the creator. The point is, his sovereignty. He is God. He does what he pleases. And we have nothing to say because we are the creatures. No wonder Nowadays, people don't want to hear that because we want to be in control of our own lives. Well, has God have a right to do that to Pharaoh? Has he got a right 
to harden whom he will and have mercy on whom he will? Have we forgotten that God, he is God, that we should tell him what to do? That's my question. So we find a great prayer in First Chronicles. He says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and majesty. For all that is in heaven and all in the earth is yours. Yours is a kingdom. Book of Chronicles, First Chronicles. Did you notice the kingdom, power, and glory? Words in the Lord's Prayer. There they are in the Old Testament. And Jesus was reciting that as well. God is God, does whatever he pleases. Ultimately, that's sovereignty of God. In the New Testament, we see the sovereignty of God in Christ. You might ask, why Mary? Why the Jews? Well, the answer isn't the Jews. Or answer is, the, the, is not the descendants, of the descendants of Abraham. Answer is not even Abraham. You know why? Because sovereign will of God. Because he chose You'll find it all through the Lord's ministry. You'll find that he came to do the will of the Father. The sovereign over wind and waves was the same sovereignty that he exercised over the disciples. As he said, you didn't choose me, disciples. I chose you. We didn't choose Jesus, my brothers and sisters. He chose us. You think we chose Jesus, but it was God who chose us. That's why in John chapter 17, Jesus thanked the Father for giving him those who 12, those 12 men. Look at Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done, for thine is the kingdom. The Son of God who taught us that, that the Son of God who practiced it. Just think of for a moment. Do you think that God, the Romans or Jews or those people who shouted, crucify him, killed Jesus? Who really decided that the Christ should die on the cross? Did you ever think about that? Easter is coming up in about a month. Who killed Jesus? Yes, Romans. Yes, Jews. They wanted to kill him. And they were used. But the Father God was behind that. The cross was not the man's plan. It was God's plan. God was very clear about it. I know it's very difficult to apprehend this. Some point, I think you must accept what God has said. He said, it's my will for my son to die on the cross. So in a way, you think it was the Romans killed Jesus, ultimately? Without the permission, without the sovereign rule of God, they can't do anything. Meaning, that's why Jesus did not he was not killed. He gave himself up for us. It's not like, oh, I didn't want to die, but it just happened to me by others around me. No, he voluntarily gave himself for us. He took the path of the cross. He was in perfect control, even his dying. He knew exactly how he died, and he gave up his spirit, he says. He knew, even in death, he was in perfect control. That's God. That's Jesus. Right? And I know there are those who deny human responsibility and they cut some of the Bible. I know there are some deny the sovereignty, divine sovereignty, and they too cut some of the Bible. 
And I only know that where as wicked men decide to put Jesus to death, it was all according to God, God's predetermined plan. And from the foundation of the world, from the very beginning, the Lamb of God was slain for the sins of men. That's what the Revelation says. Now, come to Christians in the New Testament. God's sovereignty is wonderfully demonstrating in our own Christian life. Someone wrote, as a matter of fact, John Bunyan wrote this. When you come to the gate of salvation, you find written on the outside, whoever will may come. But when you get inside and turn around and look back, you will see something else written on the door. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. But this is not a truth for sinners, but it's for the saints, for those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who are born again. When, especially when you're talking about predestination, when we're talking about the sovereignty of God, the human responsibility, this is a discussion amongst Christians. It is the most powerful truth that you can discover. In fact, though you thought at times you chose God, now you look back and say, well, God chose me in Christ. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world, you were chosen. Isn't that amazing? We thought we chose God in 19-whatever, early years. 30 years ago, I thought I made the decision to follow God. Well, you are already chosen before the foundation of the world in the knowledge of God. Your salvation thus rests not on you, but on God. It means that in his grace and mercy, he laid his hand on you. And he's the one who saved you. And he's the one who is saving you in the present time. And he will be saving us until the very end. Amen. That's why Paul couldn't get over this. And that's why if you read his letter after letter, he wrote what? God's elect. God's elect. It's from the God's perspective, not from the human perspective. We can never say, it's not our perspective, I'm elect. How do you know I'm elect? How do you know you are, you are elected? That's not from our perspective. It's from God's perspective. All we, our, from our perspective is what? You need to believe. You need to make the decision to believe in Christ and follow him, being born again by receiving the Holy Spirit through repentance. That's our perspective, and that's our responsibility. But from his perspective, God has chosen you, elected you. But a lot of times when we take this truth and we kind of make our own and we start decide to act like God's, Oh, God's going to elect someone. God's going to do this. God, God's in control. Why would I have to do anything? And I have to ask them, how do you know who's elect or is not? No one except God. Therefore, for us, we need to continue to reach out. We just need to obey what God has given us. That's why God says, it's not for you to know who's elect or not. Your job is what? Your calling is go out and preach the gospel. Live out your faith. Obe be, obe be obedient to my word. And as you are being saved in the process. And that's how the Bible teaches us. Amen. And I think if you clearly understand this, that this truth holds a Christian in the day, this truth will hold Christians in the days of despair and depression. 
that God chose me in Christ before the creation. Paul talks about this over and over again. Salvation begins with God's decisions, not men's decision. It begins in the heart of God's plan. Every time you feel like you're depressed, you feel like you're being abandoned, you feel like you're alone, remember that. Even the faith came as a gift from God. And God knew you even before you were born, before you were formed in your mother's womb. And he knew you. He knew your life. He knew your name. He was calling you by your name. A lot of times we think our name was given by our parents. It's given by God. Now, in Romans 8, you get the same truth, the famous Romans 8, 28. Remember? Those whom predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also sanctified and glorified. And it began in God's will, not ours. It continues in his provincial, providential care. Look at Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28. We know that in everything God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his very perfect purpose. And this is not an overall fatalism, saying whatever will be, will be. Oh, well, I'm sure it's all for the best. That is not what it means. We Christians can know that whatever happens, whatever tragedy may strike tomorrow, whatever difficulty he may run into, God will work for his good because he's called to the purpose of God. That is faith that we have in Christ. Amen. It is in that Christian final security lies. Our security is in God's sovereignty. He's in control no matter what. Yes, bad things might happen. Yes, we might question God. Yes, we might have a problems understanding all this, and we might be sad, we might be depressed, we might be even in despair. But one thing that really keeps us going is that God is in control. Whatever happens into our, to, to our lives, he will make it for his perfect purpose. And you can see in this matter, human reason and divine revelations are contradictory. And you must choose between them. Are you choosing your human reason? Because human reason says that human responsibility is the last word and or else. We are just pushed around by fate or some other impersonal chance. But the divine revelation says that God is still on the throne. He's in control. I'm sure we will get a different reaction to this truth from the believers and also from the non-believers. While non-believers greets with this, with this rebellion, the believers greets it with rejoicing. You know why? While this truth of the sovereignty of God in a way, strikes a sinner's pride while it stimulates saints' praise. While it fills non-believers full of questions and confusion, it fills believers full of peace. That's the, what the sovereignty of God is all about. The sinners will say, well, if God has predestined everything, what's the point of believing? What's the point of even praying? 
These people think prayer is just to make God to do their own will. Do you think that you are praying so that you will make him to do something? Think again. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is surely to do the will of God. We are praying that his will be done in our lives. We're praying that we will understand and submit to his will in obedience. That's what prayer does. So when we pray, we pray for our own desire to be fulfilled. The Bible says it will not be answered. You need to pray that his will be done in your life. That's what the prayer is. Look how Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done in my life. That's the heart of prayer. You're crying out to God. You're talking to God. You're communicating to God. Yes. But you are basically what? You are praying to the Lord to do the will of God. Lord, teach me to understand your will. Why? God is on the throne. His will is going to be done. His kingdom is sure to come. And this makes us all the more earnest in prayer. That's why we pray, Lord, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. Lord, please help us. Lord, please, according to your will. That's why we don't say we don't need to pray for anything. We say we are here to do the will of God, and he has instructed us to pray. What's the will of God? Will of God is for you to pray and connect to him. Will of God is for you to cry out to him, to submit to him. That's why we pray. Why? We are commanded to pray. Pray faithfully. Pray continuously. Pray in all circumstances. That's why we do it. We are told in the first John chapter 5 that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us and he will surely answer us. And that's what we ask for in prayer. That's why too much of our prayer is for what we will. And I think we have a problem with that. How is your prayer life? Is it all about you, what you want to get? Is it prayer life is about, Lord, provide the things that I need according to your will, so that I'll be able to do your will and submit to you. That's the heart of prayer. Amen. If you don't like it, go to the church that preaches. Oh, if you pray, everything will be just answered to you. Whatever you desire, you will get. That's not in the Bible. Okay. But crazy thing about it is this. As you grow and mature to be more like Christ, what you will start to desire things of God, meaning whatever you desire will be aligned with his own desire. Just like the kids are becoming like a father. The sons are becoming like dads. They are their own fathers. The daughters are becoming like their own mothers. Just like that. In a way, I'm a replica of my father. The things that he likes, I like. Things that he does not like, I don't like. Because I was his son growing up under his care. And I become, in a way, more like him. That's the idea, my brothers and sisters. There will be a point when you become mature in spirit, in faith. Your appetite will be aligned with God's appetite. You will desire what God wants, 
not what you want. And that's the amazing thing about our relationship to him and his relationship to us. He is our father, and we are becoming more like him. Amen. And I pray we'll get there. Now, how does this knowledge and the sovereignty of God affect us then? Let me just close with that. There's two thoughts that I would like to share. First, it produces right kind of submission to God. Right? Just like Mary, the mother of Jesus, earthly mother of Jesus. Remember? The angel showed up and said, Mary, by the way, Mary was a preteen, probably teenager girl. You'll be pregnant. Holy Spirit will come upon you. Imagine that. And you know what she said? Beat unto me according to thy will. Amazing prayer from a teenager girl. Wow. See, we don't worship Mary because she's not God, but we have to respect her life. She was a very godly woman. Be unto me according to your will. And you see the characters, the man and woman of God in the Bible continuously what? Submitting themselves to God in spite of their desire, in spite of their perspectives. They obey. And I think this is the answer to grumbling and complaining in our lives. Why do we complain? Because we think we deserve something. We think things have to go according to our own way. But when we submit to his, his sovereign rule, we stop complaining and grumbling, even though things are tough and hard. I think also this is the answer to fretting and rebellion, to accept God's will. Not in a spirit of the fatalistic indifference, no, but not in a spirit of, oh, well, I don't need to do anything, but in a spirit. But in a spirit of you will be done, your will be done. I think that is something we need to understand. With the emphasis on the done, I want you to do. I want you, I want to do your will, knowing that your will is my peace. And it is the best way. My brothers and sisters, at the end, we might not like the way that God is leading us sometimes, maybe a lot of times. But at the end, we will find ourselves that was the best way. That was the best way at the end. Just like Joseph at the end, he said, yeah, I didn't like to be a slave sold by my own brothers, even imprisoned, falsely accused, mistreated. But at the end of the day, I can say God was in control and he did his plan. Now that is faith. So in a way, this truth of the sovereignty provides us, produces the right kind of submission to God. Second, what does it do to us? It provides security. God has the whole world in his hands. Therefore, we will not fear what the man can do to us. If we know that God is in control, what can be afraid? What can you be afraid? In your will, is my peace. He's ever so powerfully our security. 
See, you have to understand God's plan for you and me and for this church, God's plan for this world, God's plan for God's people cannot miscarry. His purpose cannot fail. His kingdom cannot be overthrown. And that is our security. Yeah, the kingdoms and kings of this world currently going crazy, and they will go crazier. More and more, we see the time's going to be chaotic outside, from the outside. But know this, he's in control. God is leading this world to exactly where he wanted to be. And he will reveal his son, Jesus, ever so powerfully through the history. Amen. And that's something that we have faith in. That means it's our security. As I conclude, let me exhort you with this. God is still on the throne. I'm sure your mind is full of questions. Mine is too. But let us remember his word. Let us, by faith, trust in his word that he is still on the throne. He is still our God. And he knows exactly what he's doing. And he knows exactly what is best for all of us. And he knows exactly how this world will end. And his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray.